Everybody, I am Sean Graham Scott alongside as always. Hello, Scott. Hello, Sean. Happy end of football season. Yeah, big game on Sunday. We watched it together. It was a, a lovely afternoon. Made wings and nachos. And yeah, wings, nachos, some salad. Yeah, it was a, a lovely experience. And we actually double screened during the game watching. Canada play somebody. Even your head? Yes. No, right. no, that was no. in the morning after China. No, the Russians. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we had that game uh, going on along with the curling that we were double screening the whole time. It was uh, not the whole time, but once the curling started. So it's uh, been a very busy week with all the action going on from over in Beijing and uh, Scott, it's, uh, I don't know, like, how would you describe it so far? What, what's your main takeaway from the curling so far at the Olympic Games? The four-person curling. Uh, so, yeah, four-person curling, it's been pretty predictable, uh, notwithstanding a couple of quite surprising results, namely China on the women's side beating Sweden. But yep. uh, Ryan from Rocks Across the Pond did predict that, so... I guess we can't say it was that unpredictable, uh, but it's been it's been like pretty chalky, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, in our preview, we talked about how on the women's side they were just kind of kind of beat up on each other, and that you had Switzerland, Sweden as the two best teams there, and that has kind of emerged uh, in the standings. Even though, as you say, China did upset Team Sweden, but they're there and and pretty much ensconced in, in playoff positions at this point not guaranteed but it'd be surprising for uh, the two of them to drop down and on the men's side there was a clear top three and those are the top three teams in the standings right now now it, there is an opportunity for canada to fall out but it is very unlikely uh, as we are speaking for canada to fall out they have wednesday off as well as uh, so they could sit in this position for a while uh, until their final game against bruce Mao. but those top three, you know, other results pending, of course, but it seems like everyone else, as we said in the preview, is playing for fourth place. So interesting results along the way, sure. But overall, nothing has stood out as much as South Korea in 2018 having that great week. Like, we're not seeing anyone really have that type of a breakout event. No, exactly. Uh, it's, it's pretty much as expected. Uh, you might think the Japanese women are a little better than was thought, but we talked about them before. They're a great team. And so, yeah, uh, pretty much as expected so far. So let's talk a little bit about some of the biggest stories coming out of Beijing so far. I have a few here that I'd like to discuss here, Scott. So uh, let's start with the two top teams and just some interesting stats that I think have contributed to them being at the top of the table on the men's and women's side. Let's start with the women and the Swiss team. Of course, Sylvana Tiranzoni with four stones being thrown by Alina Pats. They are 
really doing a very good job defensively, Scott. They've only given up 38 points so far in their seven games. The British actually have given up fewer points in their games, but a 74% force efficiency rate for Sylvana Tiranzoni and the team. So they're just not giving teams an opportunity to score against them. Their peripheral on the hammer side isn't as great as some of the other teams in the field, but if you don't let the other teams score, you're not going to lose games. So that's one stat that I was kind of taken by just going through the numbers today as to if you're looking for explanations as to why they're doing so well, they're really doing a good job controlling the game when the other team has the hammer. Yeah, and if, uh, like you say, if you're not letting the other team score, you're going to win a lot of those games. Uh, I did watch a couple of their games. Uh, their first game early against Eve Muirhead, I think it was the opening draw. Alina Pats struggled. Uh, she was r- really not sharp. And uh, Eve had a bad draw in the 11th and sort of handed them the game. I think that's something that we might look back at the end of the week and say that's a real turning point because if Switzerland gets off to that 0-1 start, maybe they're digging a little deeper, trying a little bit harder, pressing that much more, and we don't see them get the momentum and those big wins that followed uh, coming out of that. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment that you want to get off on that right foot. They're so good. I don't know if losing one game would have that much of an impact, but yeah, it's always better to win that first game than to lose it so uh you know you you don't press it all and and it puts you in a good spot so uh, their only loss at this point is to sweden and anna hasselberg uh whose two losses have been to Mm -hmm. china as we mentioned and to the aforementioned eve muirhead so uh that's the situation at the top of the table on the women's side on the men's side nick edine and his team are, of course, at the top of the table, sitting at 7-1 and one as we record this with only one game left for them to play. About half and half, I think. Uh, with five teams still have two to play. Um, five still have uh, only one to play. But Nicodine is in control. He has 39% last stone efficiency. That's not great, actually. That's fourth in the field at 39% for the hammer efficiency. Mm -hmm. But throw in 10 blanks on top of that for plus 22. So he's controlling the game when he has the hammer. That The percentage isn't great, but he has more blanks with the hammer than anybody else in the field. So he's being judicious as to when he goes for it and therefore reducing the opportunities that the other teams have with the hammer so so he's just holding the hammer longer than the other teams so if you're looking at part of the reason why they've been successful i think that's one of those numbers that kind of stood out to me as i was going through uh, but scott does anything stand out for you so far on the week for nicodine well also uh limiting the blanks against uh in addition to the force efficiency being up there uh that's topped in the field at 67 percent and only two blanks against so you know he's he's forcing well and also not letting the teams get their blanks. So yeah. it's, I, I guess the force is going to be higher yeah. with fewer blanks, but uh, not giving up the big ends or the blanks. So uh, a pretty good job there by team Adeen. Yeah. And that's just more evidence that they're controlling the house, certainly controlling the front of the house uh, and the, the guard zone. So they're, they're doing a very good job of just maintaining control yeah. of the pace of the game throughout. Yeah, and they've they've also started with the last stone in the first end seven times out of their eight games, so uh, which is tied for tops in the field uh, with the, the host Chinese team actually. So uh, when you start out with the first end, you're forcing uh, other teams, 
you're gonna you're gonna do pretty well. Yeah, you are. Uh, very well said. And Scott, that leads us into the next big story. This is very much a Canadian-based story, or non-story, if you will. The last stone draw for the Canadians has been a bit of an issue so far this week. Jennifer Jones is last of the 10 teams in the last stone draw rankings. Her average distance, 46.78 centimeters. For Brad Gushu, he is sixth in the field. Fortunately for him, he's ahead of the teams he needs to be ahead of, but he's still sixth at this moment at 24.35 centimeters on average in those last stone draws. So, Scott, I looked back to last season and the trials just to see how off these numbers are. Is this a a one-off for these teams where Jennifer Jones has been bad for seven games and Gushu's been not great for... Uh, eight games or is, is it part of a larger trend for these teams potentially so at the briar last year gushu had nine of 12 hammers to start so we won obviously nine of the the 12 draws to the button before the game jennifer jones had the hammer seven of 13 times at the scotties and then at the trials jennifer jones was actually first in the field at last stone draw at 28 8.2 centimeters away and brad gushu was third at 22.15. So kind of interesting that Brad Gushu is only two centimeters worse this week than he was at the trials, but is down in sixth place. Jennifer Jones and the team obviously has struggled being 18 centimeters off on average on these last stone draws. So a bit of an anomaly for Jennifer Jones based on these numbers. She She's normally pretty good at it relative to the field, uh, but just an off week there for whatever reason. Uh, with the World Curling Federation, also they they have two curlers from each team that that do the clockwise and then a counterclockwise shot. So there's two shots uh, for each game done by different players, which might be different than the way Curling Canada does it for the Briar and Scotties because I know they don't have you know time before the game to run two of these shots. Right. Uh, at the curling trials, I don't remember if, if they made it in line with the World Curling Federation, but. It's it's really strange to me, Sean. I th- think that a lot of the practice time is spent by the other teams, certainly, and most of the time by Canada, trying to get the path right for that draw to the button. But with a team like, like Gushu or Jones that are more experienced, they might not view that as that important as it would be to map out some other spots on the ice. Let's, you know, we're going, we're going to have to throw other shots than that draw to the button. So let's make sure we get some of those in, in practice as well as the draw shot, uh, to the button, because that'll set us up better later on in the game. And like, let's just worry about winning the games rather than having last rock in the first end. Yeah. Especially a team like Jennifer Jones, who if they don't have the hammer, they're just going to run stuff up. They're going to try to make you score. They're going to make you have difficult shots. So if they have the ice mapped better in the yeah. first end, they have a better chance of stealing than an average team would uh, in the in, in a course of a game. So, yeah, maybe they don't put as much emphasis on it. You need to. It's a tiebreaker here. There, there are no tiebreaker games. So it's an important thing mm-hmm. to have, even if you don't necessarily care individually game to game, if you're sl- somewhat indifferent of having the hammer in the first end. But if that's the reason that you missed the playoffs, like it's unfortunate and I don't really like it. I would rather have tiebreaker games. I understand 
why they don't, but it's part of the rules everybody knew going into it. And they're just having an off week on it too. They're not, they're not systemically bad at it. These two teams, they're just uh, struggling no. more than we've seen them in the past at this. Yeah. It's a, it's the world curling federation way of doing it. And if, if you're playing at the slam or at uh, the nationals in Canada, the ties are broken by games. And so it's not really something that you have to worry too much about other than at one of these events. And so like, I'm sure if you asked Brad Gushu, what would you rather do? Like have time to map out different spots in the ice or get the hammer in the first end. I, I think he would say, well, yeah, we'd like to know more about the ice that we're going to play on. They're good enough to do both. Like they are. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you might end up with uh, some situations like today where, uh, the ice fools you a little bit and y- you drop a winnable game. All right, Scott, uh, next big story from the Olympic games. This is not just a Canadian issue, but obviously we are watching it from Canada. I think this is a larger problem and that is the presentation of these games. And I want to preface this by saying this isn't meant to be a criticism of any one individual, but the presentation of these games has been poor. I would argue in Canada, the level of the sound is not good. And I felt very not, I don't want to say validated, but it, it made me feel better that Stokely who does the sound for the grand slams commented on this uh, today, that he agrees mm-hmm. that this is not good, that the players mics are too low compared to the broadcasters. That is a, a CBC problem from what I've gathered from Stokely. That's not the international feed problem that the it's the mixing on the Canadian side. So that's a problem. Visually, the games don't look particularly good. There are little mistakes that are being made in the presentation of these games, little camera things that they are missing. For instance, when you're measuring a stone, don't have the overhead go until the official gets right to the stone and then cut to the player. Like, no, we want to see the measurements. Uh, like it, these are little mistakes that are being made in the presentation. And then don't get me started on, on if I was in the United States and you're cutting to commercial during second stones, like what, what are you doing? Like you can't like, no, don't do that. You got Kevin Martin on the call. Kevin Martin should like metaphorically throw himself in front of the train. That is the commercial and just say, no, you cannot do this. So these are our issues. And I will just say, I, I don't think, WCF produced events in general when we see them because they produce the world championship one a year, depending on which one's not in Canada. Uh, it's usually their crews. I don't think they look as good as the way curling Canada sets it up. I, just in general, I, I think the Canadian domestic presentation is better, but this is your signature event. New people are coming to this. Like every four years, there's this influx of people who come to the sport, who, who experience it for the first time. And it's great that the feedback is always positive and people are excited about it. But I don't think the visual presentation and in Canada, the sound presentation is going to encourage people to come back. You're presenting on television an inferior product than you normally do at your signature event. And for as much as we talk about growing the game and we want new people in, new countries represented, that's all great. But this, 
and this isn't the first time this has happened. I, I think it's a problem for the sport. And I, I really want someone at the WCF to address it moving forward so that these world feeds in 2026 from Italy are bet are more representative of a typical curling broadcast. Yes, I, I agree with uh, everything you said, Sean. It's uh, it's not been top quality. To address maybe why, uh, there were some articles written before the game started that the the camera crew, the camera operators, and the production crew on site were all novices at curling, except for the one, its director or producer, I can't remember who, that has some experience with it before. So you're going to have growing pains when you have an inexperienced crew with curling. Should you have an inexperienced crew at what you say is your marquee event? Probably not. But in the case of an event in China during a pandemic, I don't think there was any other feasible way to do it. That said, like it's better than nothing. What we saw at the women's worlds uh, last year in the bubble, right? When the crew couldn't be there. So you'd rather this than nothing, but in an ideal world, I think you're right that they would take the camera operating crew that works for TSN and for Sportsnet and have them on site to be getting the shots because they get the shots that are uh, that make the presentation so good. There's also gr- great directing in the back, uh, switching to, to different angles at different times, innovative camera shots from sort of the, I, I forget what it's called, like the rising boom kind of boom camera to you know the the end on shots the above shots i think the reason that this hasn't looked as good is because you can't have all those cameras because you're trying to get coverage of four sheets at once so that's another limitation right a little bit it is but you could have it so that all the sheets are filming from one side of the sheet the same side and yeah you might get a camera person who's filming another sheet in your shot which i know camera people always hate when camera people are in their shots but that's just going to happen sometimes and i would rather have the better angles Mm -hmm. uh than randomly see a camera person in a shot and I, i think what would be good if they could do this looking ahead to 2026 is and i know there are logistical issues and certainly for world championships and stuff like it's so hard to get people overseas especially the the folks who work with tsn because they would have just been coming off or getting ready for another world championship to have them then go Mm -hmm. do another one in a different country but for the olympics could you take like sportsnet crew a tsn crew who i know and from stokely we know they're not employees of those companies and some people will work across uh, the slams and then also work with with tsn as well but could you take those folks who do those events and then have them go and kind of be like with what they do with uh, ice crews at these big events where you have your head ice maker and they bring in more novice ice makers, people who want to get into it. Could it could it be that sort of a situation where we have better expertise at the top? You have those people, at least somebody who with a lot of experience on each sheet of the ice working that particular broadcast and, and bringing people along. Because one of the concerns that you might have is, well, okay, the next time or or what happens when you're trying to present the game in other countries now? Like, could, could you have some mm-hmm. Italian 
people who are here as part of this event to help them learn and get better for 2026. And same thing for really every every other country that's going to eventually start producing their own stuff. Just have people there to get used to the rhythm of curling, which is very different from all the other sports. And I would actually be very curious to know, too, mm-hmm. if fans of other sports find this at the Olympics, right? I'm not deep enough in really any other Olympic sport to know if there is a marked difference in the presentation of the sport at the Olympic when the IOC have control of that world feed compared to the World Cup events when it's just that sport. But I would be curious to know if that's the case where we see a mark a really a marked decrease in the quality of the production at the Olympics compared to the typical broadcast. I mean, I mean, I think that it is a, a worse quality for say basketball in the summer Olympics, right? Uh, it's definitely not as good uh, as watching right. an NBA game. And maybe it's just the, the distance that the cameras are, or, uh, the lack of the uh, same sort of passionate crowd. Maybe I'm not sure, but uh if curling or the world curling federation wants to address this and I don't see any reason right now why they do because it's going to cost them money. They have to be willing to invest the money into getting these uh, camera people trained. And I, I don't know if they see an ROI on that, that that makes it worth their money. Yeah, I guess it's only, I guess once every four years where you have four sheet coverage at an event, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's just a little frustrating to watch at times. That's all. And and yeah, like commercials in the middle of an end is ridiculous. Like imagine watching a baseball game and uh, somebody gets a single and then they cut away for 30 seconds and you come back and uh, the bases are loaded and two runs have scored. And you're like, what the heck happened? Right. right. That, like that's insane. Right. So it's like. It's like yeah. it's like a sitcom thing where it's like, and the three-two pitch, and it cut, and then you have never seen a play like that ever before. You're like, what? 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 Yeah, what, uh, what so, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So that just sort of a little rant, I guess, on, on that. Finally, Scott, let's talk a little bit about the ice conditions over there in Beijing. Uh, it is, of course, a pool. The rink is built on a pool. Uh, they had some issues early in the mixed doubles event in terms of humidity. For the first time ever, they needed more humidity in a building where curling ice was. So they actually filled in mm-hmm. one of the hot tubs that the divers use after you dive. One, I don't know why divers go into the hot tub for like 20 seconds after they dive. Someone could explain that to me too. But uh, they filled it up to get more humidity. Brad Gushu, the sheet he was on against ROC, he didn't like it. He said it was dirty. He thought it was very different from the other sheets. Uh, one of the reasons might have been the few numbers of spectators who are there are on that side of the sheet or on that side of the building, excuse me. Mm. So that could be leading to some different runs there on the the end sheet near the crowd. But overall, like the ice to me hasn't seemed that bad. Obviously, I'm not there. I'm watching it on the overhead. But it seems like they're getting not as much curl as you would get at a typical Scotty's or a Briar, but you're getting enough. There are some straight patches, but what's good about it to me, I mm-hmm. think uh, from what I've been seeing is that it is very much release dependent. And I like that, you know, the, that if you're going to float it out, you're probably not going to get it back. You get it started. You might not be able to hold it. Right. I think this type of ice really does put a little more onus on the player, the thrower, and the sweepers can't do quite as much. So I'm kind of a fan of that. But 
Uh, independent Scott of what Brad Gushu said this morning after his game, what is your observations been of the ice from uh, half a world away? Well, it seems to me like it's a little bit slower than we would have seen uh, at the Canadian trials or even the Scotties that, uh, that we just had. Not a lot, but a little bit. And I think the inconsistency, the patchiness is what's really bothering uh, the players more than anything else, right? It's you, you want it release dependent. Sure. We can deal with that as long as it's the same everywhere. Cause you get a big shot on a path that you haven't really played and, and you're just really unsure what to do with it, which players who are at this level of curling shouldn't be feeling those, those kinds of insecurities when it comes to, Oh boy, you know, we haven't played over here. Uh, in a couple ends, it might've changed a lot. Uh, that's just something like you don't want to see, right? You you want the players to be confident in what they can do and not have it be dependent on the playing surface, which changes over time and changes from game to game. Very true. And, uh, but you know, conditions there have changed a lot, uh, on the ground in Beijing. That's snow mm-hmm. crazy. That, uh, that much snow in Beijing that their typical annual amount of snow in uh, about six hours or something. Uh, earlier this week so uh, mm-hmm. changing conditions outside and again it's a pool they're playing on top of a pool so uh, not not the easiest conditions for the ice makers but overall I think they've they've seemed to have done a good job uh, the other part that this isn't really an ice maker thing although the ice makers tend to work on it the stones the electronic candles of the stones continue to malfunction over the course of the week they've just turned them off mm-hmm. so uh no, no issues there. The only thing though, Scott, like if we're going to get rid of the electronic candles, which I think all the players would say like good riddance to them, the sooner, the better. The one thing I like about the electronic candles is just the visual of it. Uh, I, I like the silver handle. I, I like the way that looks on TV and the yellow and the red is just right on top of the stone. I, I, I'm not sure I enjoy the TV the way it looks on TV when the handle is also the same color, but that's just a minor thing. And I'm probably the only person in the world who even cares about it. Well, uh, why don't you write, uh, write to the WCF and say, you'd like the colors to be silver handles with, uh, red and yellow bodies. That, that'll exactly. work. Yeah. I will ask to speak yeah. to the manager of the stones, please. Uh, that's what I would like to do. <laughs> So so there you have it. Some of the biggest stories coming out of Beijing. Anything else, Scott? No, I don't think so. It's been fun to watch. The time zone has worked for the most part for us on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Uh, The West Coast, it it would probably be tough to get that morning, morning draw here, evening draw in China. But uh, I've enjoyed it. I've been waking up a little bit earlier than I usually do to uh, watch in the morning. And I'm lucky to be, you know, working from home in my home office here. And I've got, I've got a TV and I've got my iPad. And so I can have a couple of different games going all at once. And uh, as the emails flood in and I'm multitasking like crazy, but uh, overall it's been, it's been fun to watch, uh, fun to watch. Yeah. And, you know, as I said, when the mixed doubles one, I'd rather have that extra hour uh, in the morning so it would be 12 hours instead of the 13 hours. I'd rather have that, but it is what it is. Uh, you know, I'd rather start at 9 p.m. rather than 8 p.m. and then the extra hour in the morning if possible, but that's not the case. And if you're out west, 
you might you have a more of a chance at the afternoon draw than we do here on the east coast uh, or on eastern time i should say not yeah. the east coast uh with the 10 p.m start for the afternoon draw in beijing and uh but also, God bless uh, the Gushus. Some great photos of Brad Gushu's dad and uncle cracking a beer at 2.30 in the morning, getting ready for one of those afternoon <laughs> draws uh, over in Beijing. So oh, you, boy. Know, you, you make do with what you can. Actually, we played on our Monday league. Or was it the Thursday? I can't remember. But we played Mark Holman. No, it was a Thursday game. We actually played uh, against Mark Holman and Brent Holman. Uh, during one of the mixed doubles games they were not paying attention to the game mm. that we were playing because they had the ipad going with the the morris homing game going they still beat the hell out of us <laughs> <laughs> they're they're pretty good they're pretty good and yeah. uh i i got you know a big night to plan sean for the the gushu versus mowat uh wednesday evening here in the east and i'm gonna you know order a big pizza crack open a, a nice brew and uh have myself a night watching that All that'll right. be a good game. there you go very nice well uh, enjoy yourself scott and everybody else enjoy what is left of the olympic curling we'll be back at some point late weekend early next week to talk about all the goings-ons and who ended up with medals from the 2022 beijing olympics which have five days left as we sit here, as we record on Tuesday afternoon and do follow along for those episodes. If you have not yet subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your shows, do the likes, ratings, comments, all that good stuff helps other people find us, keeps us growing. You can also visit us over at gameofstonespod.com. All the past episodes are there under the episode tab. You can also click on merch for all the merch that we have proceeds going to the Sandra Smurler foundation and food banks, Canada, and we are matching all of those proceeds. And do follow along with all the fun stuff that we got going on on social media at Game of Stones Pod on Instagram and Twitter, Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook. And you can let us know what you want to hear on the show, Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So that'll be it for this episode. Scott, we're almost through it. You know, it's been a long four years, Sean, and uh, we can see the light at the end of that. Uh, proverbial tunnel i'm I'm not sure though if i'm ready for it to end and then we start a whole new quad and more speculation and stuff so i'm um, hoping for good curling the rest of these these next five days uh and yeah we'll uh see who ends up at the top of the podium indeed we will as we hear at the uh the end of the week and this is why we lift all those weights is right here at the home stretch so uh enjoy the games everybody we'll talk to you very soon but until then Keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.